Welcome to the first Sunday of 2024. And if you are a child of the 80s and 90s, that date 2024 seems like a sci-fi number. How, how did we get here? Well, we're here and I'm thankful and excited about that. Um, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. Maybe you are. Maybe they work for you. They just don't work for me. But one of the things that God has convicted me about to pay more attention for this year, for my life, is to be thankful and aware of the God, God's blessings that he's placed in my life and sit and soak in those in solitude and just, just remain in those. Um, I get distracted and I get busy and I'm always looking for the next thing that God's doing and the next thing and next thing and next thing. And God said, slow down, be thankful and do a better job of expressing gratitude to the people you love. And I just wanna say this to you as a church family that I love and I'm thankful to serve alongside you here at Mobley Baptist Church. Um, we brag on you every Tuesday in staff meeting for your compassion and your faithfulness and your servant's attitude. I want you to know that. And you make, uh, you make serving not easy, but you make it very encouraging. And you love your staff well, and I thank you for that. I just want you to hear that this morning. I'm also thankful about the Neighborhood Initiative for 2024. What is it? To give you a big picture view, it is us as a church living out the Great Commission, which is the last words of Jesus that he said to his disciples. And you would think if it's the last thing that he said, it was very important, and it is. Go and make disciples of all nations. So that's something we wanna do in a practical way. And maybe you're thinking that's something we do every year, right? Well, yes, it is, but we wanna turn up the notch a little bit this year and be more intentional about that. We're gonna do some things church-wide in which we meet practical needs of people in our community. And then we're asking you, just gonna put this out here up front, we're asking you as a church member to pray about God putting someone in your life that you can share your gospel story with this year. So we're gonna do it two-faced, church-wide and individual. So it comes from the Great Commission, but it also comes from the Great Commandment, which is found in Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna be in verse 34, if you wanna turn there. But just to give you some context of where we're at, in Matthew 22, there have been two scenarios where the religious leaders have tried to corner Jesus with a theological question in order to trick him. Why would they do that? Well, they didn't like Jesus very much, as you know. They thought he was a heretic. They didn't like the, the, the following he was gaining. They didn't like the influence that he was gaining with the people. He was taking power away from them somewhat. And they wanted to stop that. So two different times leading up to verse 34, they'd come up with these theological questions to try to stump Jesus so they could turn his answer against him and prove that he was a liar. And both times he left them silenced with his answer because he's God in flesh, right? Both times he muzzled them and left them incapacitated because of his wisdom. Now we are at a third time. They haven't learned their lesson yet. In verse 34, they're at a third time where they have formed the question to end all questions, they thought, to trick Jesus again. Read with me in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, let's stop there. They had got their top gun. If you're a lawyer, I'm sorry, I'm sorry in the room this morning. It was not that type of lawyer. It was a scribe, a teacher of the law, a religious educated person. But they had went and got their top gun to ask this question. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Again, they were not concerned with his answer. They were wanting to trick him with this question. Now, let me make this real for the guys in the room, the men. If you're married or if you aspire to be married or if you are a newlywed, pay attention. 
I saw some wives look at their husbands. When you go shopping with your wife, be prayed up. And then when your wife is trying on dresses and she comes out at the end of that episode and looks you in the eye and says, which dress looked best on me, the red or the green or the blue? Young men, this should be in premarital counseling. You should know this. Follow us away. Your answer is never under any circumstance, the red, the green, or the blue. The, the women say, yeah. Your answer is always, honey, you look great in all three. That's free advice. Hope Road, watch out. Here I come. <laughs> it's a trick question. This was a trick question to trick and corner Jesus. But let's look at his answer. Isn't it funny? Let me just, isn't it funny that they are, they are debating scripture with the author of scripture? Isn't it funny? Isn't it ignorant? Verse 37, here's his answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Hence, mic drop one more time. He is quoting an Old Testament scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is the Shema. It is a scripture every Jew would have known by heart. It is a scripture that this teacher of the law probably recited twice a day and had in his home on his wall. He saw it, but he wasn't living it. And Jesus pierced his heart with his answer. So today, what's the big question? What's the big idea that we want to cover through the answer of Jesus? It's this. How can I, as a follower of Christ, love Christ? God more. Many times when we face a new year, we ask questions like, how can I be a better person? How can I be a better leader? How can I run a better business? How can I have my best life? I'm not saying those are bad questions, but today the question is straight from the words of Jesus, how can we love God more? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and your answer and your conviction to our hearts. God, I pray that we are a people that love our neighbors well. And I pray that without a shadow of a doubt, East Texas knows that Moberly loves them. I pray that this year we would begin to get out of our comfort zones and love well and serve well. That not only would we have just a program for a year, but this is who we are becoming within our DNA of Moberly. Well, we love you and we thank you for the cross. You know, we pray. Amen. I want us to see three encouragements from God's word today from the answer of Jesus. And we're going to break down his answer in three segments. But let's go back to what he says. You, are to, you shall love the Lord your God. Let me say that. You shall love the Lord your God. Your God. Your God. He makes it personal. If you want to love God more this year, you've got to know him intimately. It's hard to love someone you don't know. And Jesus is reminding this scribe who has all these scriptures memorized that you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know God intimately, it doesn't change you. Information does not lead to transformation alone. You can be familiar with truth, but not walk in truth. You can recite scripture and memorize scripture, but not know the author of scripture. God calls us to a personal walk with him, to know him intimately. And many times in the scriptures, when you see the word know and God connected, it's not a head knowledge. It's not knowing about God or hearing about God. It's experiencing God. That word means to experience God. 
to walk with God, to commune with God, to know him intimately, the Lord your God. That word God there is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And when you see the word Yahweh in the scriptures, the author of that scripture is stressing the personal relationship that we have with God. It's personal. Yahweh comes from Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush when God met with Moses and he was directing him to deliver the people from Pharaoh. And then Moses asked this question, well, what is the name of the God that is delivering us so I can tell the people so we can know who to, what to call you? And he said, Yahweh. And Yahweh means I am who I am. It can be translated, I am your God and will always be your God. I am for you and will always be for you. I am with you and will continue to be with you. We've got to know that. God wants to know you intimately, and he named himself in such a way to describe that to you and me. Many times we treat God like a, like a Facebook friend or, an, or a social media friend. We like to see what's going on from a distance, but we don't want to get too involved. And maybe you have, many of us have hundreds of Facebook friends, but well, they don't know who we are. God wants to know you intimately. That's how we love God, by knowing him. And the more we know him, the more we pursue him, the more we lean into him, the more we find out about who he is. It's important for us as followers of Christ to know his true identity because the identity of God gives you clarity on your identity as a follower. I believe so many people are confused about their identity. And I'm not referring to gender identity, although that may fall in, fall in the case. I mean, Christians, they're confused about their value, calling, and mission because they're confused about who God is. When you don't have a correct view of who God is, you don't have a correct view of who you are. That's why God calls us to know him and experience him intimately. For years as a Christian, I had an incorrect view of God. And I traced it back to a traumatic event when my parents split up when I was three. My dad left us to, to pursue drugs and alcohol. And from age three until he passed away in a car wreck about 15 years ago, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. Just never reconciled, never worked out. He just wasn't interested. And what I did was what I found out, unknowingly I was projecting my view of a father onto the heavenly father, which was incorrect. And that influenced everything I did in response to God. It influences our posture to God. It influences our response to God, our orientation to God. If you see God wrong, you see yourself wrong, and it manifests in your life. Think about this. Identity determines activity. How you see yourself and where you find your value determines how you live your life. It just does. So we've got to know God intimately so we can know what God's calling us to do. This Pharisee, again, his identity was in the law. His identity was in his knowledge. And before we get all pharisaical and judgmental in this room this morning and judge him, we do the same thing. We find, find our identity in our status or in our church attendance or maybe how much scripture we know. And those, those aren't bad things. But if our identity is not found in God alone, we're off course. Let's do a reset just, just quickly on who we are in Christ because some, somebody in the room may be off course with their identity. One thing we've got to go back to as we start a new year, we've got to go back to the fact that we're, we're all in this room sinners saved by grace. Amen? We're all in a, a place of desperation without God. 
John 15, 5 says it best. You can do nothing good apart from God. We labor in vain unless God's leading. So think about your plans this year. Are you leading God or is he leading you? Without God, we can do nothing. That's a good starting point. When you say that out loud, it's like, oh, that's a little depressing. Actually, that's a great place to start. Spurgeon said it best when he said this, and this will bless you. When you feel yourself to be utterly unworthy, you have hit the truth. Happy New Year. That's a great place to start with your identity or go back to a reset. So that's without Christ. Look what the, the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10, with Christ. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. Workmanship indicates God's fingerprints are all over your life as a believer. When your identity is correct, your mission is clear. When you realize you are God's workmanship, reaching your neighbors doesn't seem that hard. Reaching your community seems pretty easy and pretty attainable. When you know who you are in Christ, you know what he calls you to do. He goes on to say this. Let's break his answer down further. Verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. So he wants us to know him intimately, but then Jesus makes this personal to us. We're to obey him personally. He calls for a personal obedience, not a general church-wide obedience, but a personal to you and me obedience. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That word love in the day of Jesus was not some warm, fuzzy emotion when you see a puppy on Instagram. It was a call to obedience. The word love meant action. The word love meant choice. We choose to love God because he loved us first. It is a choice, it's an action. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s like I did, you'll recognize this quote from the great theologian Toby Mack. When he said, love is a verb. If you're a parent, go home and listen to that on the way home. You're gonna realize with your kids how far Christian music has come since the 80s. But love is a verb. We choose to love God. It doesn't just happen. It's not an emotion. It's not something we do when we feel good. We obey God because he calls us to obedience. And then he's very specific. He says your heart. Your heart is not that organ in your body that he's referring to that pumps blood all over your, your body and your extremities. It is the core of who you are. Your personal being, your innermost person, the center of your passion. He says your soul that's where you have your highest spiritual exercises. It's the seed of your emotional activity. Jesus referred to the soul in Matthew 28 when he talks about my soul is grieving right before he was crucified. He was emotional because he was 100% man, right? So your heart, your soul, your emotions, and then your mind is where you make decisions with energy and strength and determination. And Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you, you obey me with everything you have. Not two out of the three, not one out of the three, three out of the three. With everything you have, love for God comes from obedience. How do we get there? That sounds very hard. Well, I think one thing we've got to pay more attention to is having a healthy fear of God. Something we've lost. We don't fear God. This world does not fear God. It mocks God. Do you agree? We don't have respect for God. We rebel against God. We're not in awe of God like we should be. 
we have made God average or normal, which he's not. So to obey God, we've got to have a fear for God, a healthy fear for God. In fact, the Bible makes it clear, Proverbs 9 and 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of God's truth. So to get to that point where you apply God's truth to your life, you've got to have a healthy respect for God. You've got to fear God. When I was growing up, I mentioned my parents split up. My mom raised me as a single mom for a season. And if you're a single parent in the room today, you're a superhero. Just know that. She was a single mom for a season, and I had a healthy fear of my mom. Anybody relate to that? If your mom's in the room, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Kevin, you did. Um, And I'm glad I did, because I think that's what kept me alive. I think that's the only reason I'm here today, because I made some bad choices. And she disciplined me. Kids and teenagers back in the day, there were these things called spankings that you got when you got in trouble. And I got a lot of them. I was scared of my mom because she did not, she didn't play. She didn't play around. She had this hairbrush that was the size of a ping pong paddle. <laughs> Y'all remember those? Multi-purpose. You could comb your hair and also discipline your kid with it. It was maybe one of those Dollar Tree things. And um, she, she was amazing. Uh, she had a great forehand. She would have been a great pickleball player because she could get after it and lift me up off the ground. But not in hate or mean-spirited because she loved me. And I'm glad she did that because I think, and I know, it led to who I am today, although I'm not perfect. Healthy fear is to respect God and to have reverence for God, but it's also to be in awe of God. We have made God average and normal with our distractions. When's the last time you just walked outside and took a deep breath and looked around and just said, God, you're awesome. You put the phone down, you got away from the TV, you got away from all the distractions of life, and you just said, God, this is amazing. You're amazing. You don't do that anymore. When I served at another church, I had the opportunity to lead a trip to Colorado, a mission trip for eight summers in a row. And we were putting on sports camp for a church there in town. And this town was in the valley surrounded by the San Juan Mountains. 360 degree view of the mountains, snow cap, waterfalls, elk, mule deer. It's amazing. River that ran right through town. And one day after one of the, the sports camp days, we were meeting with the Colorado teenagers. And I just posed this question. Uh, do you guys ever get tired of all this? I mean, all of this mountains and the snow and everything that we don't have in Texas. And one of the teenagers, without hesitation, without thinking, said, you know what? We, we don't even notice it anymore. I thought about that, and that's exactly what we do to God. We get in our routines, we get in our, in life, and we're busy in our distractions, and we fail to stop and to be in awe of who God is. How do we obey God? We respect, we have awe for God. 1 John 2, verses 3 through 5 makes this very clear. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. You can't love God if you don't obey God. Obedience is made complete in him through your love. So let me just ask a personal question before we move on to the next point. 
just, just between you and the Lord, what areas in your life is God calling you to a personal and specific obedience? I don't, I don't mean church as a whole. I don't mean church attendance or scripture reading. Those things, are, they're big and they're huge and they're foundational. And maybe it is one of those, I don't know. But to you personally, in your life, not anyone else, what is God calling you to be obedient in, in a personal way? Then he goes on to answer again. He says, this is the great commandment, verse 38, and the second is like it. Isn't that just like Jesus? The Pharisee asked for one commandment and Jesus gave him two. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. How do we love God? We love others. We love others deliberately. And I'm sure the Pharisees were thinking, what does loving others have to do with loving God? Everything. Everything. Your love for others, my love for others, is an extension from my love for God. It's an overflow. We cannot say we love God if we don't love others. I don't always do a great job of that. And I'm not representing God clearly when I, when I live like that. We're to love others because God told us to. And they are imago Dei, which we've talked about in Genesis. They are God's creation created in his image. If we reject others, we're rejecting God. We love others because we love God. Not only does Jesus tell us to love others, he tells us and reminds us exactly what type of love to employ when we love others. See, in that culture, there were many different words that express love. Our culture does not do a good job with that. We water the word love down. We have a flat meaning. For example, I love papacitas. I really do. I love the grilled chicken plate. Grilled chicken's about the size of a small hubcap. You've got rice and beans. It's pure gluttony. But it's amazing. I love papacitas. At the same time, I love my wife. You see the problem there? That doesn't go over too well when you compare your wife to papacitas. But in the culture of Jesus, there were many words for love. And the word that Jesus is referring us to is the word agape. That word is a God love. That word is a love that describes when you love someone without expecting anyone in return. That's the love we're going to employ during the neighborhood initiative. We're going to do things for people and we're not going to be waiting at the mailbox for a thank you card. We're loving them because God told us to. It's best demonstrated and described in Romans 5 8 when it says this that God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's action. Love's action demonstrates his love for us. God didn't just say, I love you, and you're on your own. He demonstrated by sending his son, Jesus Christ. That's an agape love. I did nothing to earn that. I can do nothing to repay that. I can do nothing to deserve that. That's agape love. And that's the love that Jesus is reminding us to employ. Why do we need to have that kind of love? Well, you know this, loving others can be hard. Amen? Don't look at your spouse. It can be hard. It can be risky. It can be painful. It can be uncomfortable. And you know what? We need all of those in our life. That's how we grow as Christians, when we get beyond our own comfort. It's the same love that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church to sacrifice your motives, your agenda, your, wife, your life for your wife. 
Think about it like this. If we love God most, we'll love others best. If we can love God most, we'll love others best. The best thing, husbands, you can do for your wives is love God most. Parents, the best thing that you can do for your kids is to love God most. The best thing we can do as a church to love our community is to first and foremost love God most. And then we will love others best. And I love how he ends this. He drops this truth bomb and this Pharisee says this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What he's saying to him and to us, you can have all the scripture in the world memorized. You can be the smartest guy in the room. You can have all the degrees. You can come to church with perfect attendance. But if you don't love God and love others, everything you are doing is doing it in vain. You're missing it. You're wasting your life. He was pointing this man to the gospel. And that's exactly what we want to do with the Neighborhood Initiative. Love God, love others. It's a cross-shaped love. That's the Neighborhood Initiative. That's what we're, call it, we're called to do. And that's what our goal is as a church this year and for every year we're alive. It's not something we're doing for a year. This is who we are becoming as a church. I think we do a pretty good job, but we can get better. Love God most, love others best. So what does that look like practically within the Neighborhood Initiative? Let me give you some, some things that we're going to do. I'm going to start with some church-wide things. April 21st, we're going to have an opportunity as a church to have a massive block party for our community. We're going to do dinner together. We're going to be on the land back there. We're going to bless our community with what God has blessed us with. We're going to rub shoulders with no agenda other than, than to say, we love you. We care about you. Um, and we're going to have games. It's going to be a great time. July 28th, there's an opportunity that we've done three years in a row called Hamburgers and Haircuts. It's pretty, pretty simple. We give away hamburgers and we give away free haircuts. We partner with Ware Elementary, which is a school on High Street. They approached us uh, a few years ago. Their administration did and said, hey, we're, we just need a partner. We need a partner to help us love on these students because we have a lot of students that are in need. Will you partner with us? Yes. And last year, I've said this before, but I'm proud to be a part of this church. But when I was in that school cafeteria on public school property, seeing the gospel shared at school, seeing over 500 hamburgers given away to families, seeing over 500 bags of school supplies given away and seeing the gospel shared at tables and seeing all different backgrounds, ethnicities, different people that may not come in contact with one another on a regular basis. To see my church doing that, I was beaming. And that's what Hamburgers and Haircuts is about. We're gonna share the gospel. We're gonna provide practical needs. And we're gonna love in our community. And then August through October is a focus within the initiative called Love Our Schools. We're gonna have about 50 projects that you can sign up for online as a family, connect group, group of friends to bless our teachers, students, and staff at public schools in this area. And then lastly, and these are not all, these are a few, we're gonna do a thing on November 24th, which is the Sunday before Thanksgiving called Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving. We're gonna provide 200 meals for less fortunate families. And what that looks like is in the crossing, which is the building next door, we're going to have boxes with turkeys and all the sides. And you as a family or group will go pick up that box 
On that box will be a map and contact information. The family will already have been contacted. You'll take that as a family to that location, to their home. You will pray with them and maybe even get to share the gospel with that family. Can you imagine doing that as a, as a, a parent with your young 10-year-old son or daughter? How that would change their trajectory of, of what being a Christian is all about? Or doing that as a connect group, just going to someone less fortunate and sharing the love of Christ through a practical need? So those are some of the church-wide opportunities. Individually, what does this mean for you individually? We're asking that you would commit to the initiative. In fact, in front of you should be a card, a commitment card that looks like this. Go ahead and grab that. It's in your seat back in front of you. Should be enough for everyone. If you don't have one, that's okay. But if you can grab one, grab one. We're asking you as a member of this church to commit to being a part of the initiative. Everything you know need to know on how to register is on the top part of that card. On the top part of that card are three blanks. We're asking that you would put one name, just put their first name, of someone that you feel like God is leading you to share the gospel with this year. On the bottom, which is you can tear that off, is your commitment that you're going to sign your name in a moment. We're going to have a prayer time. We're going to ask that you would bring that portion of the card and lay it on the stage. And we're going to have a time where we can pray for God to move. So we're asking you to commit to initiative, commit to share, and then commit to be a part of a prayer hub. What is a prayer hub? Well, like Pastor Andrew said, we've got three phases, pray, serve, and share. Prayer hubs are 25 homes in East Texas where we're going to have prayer meetings three times throughout 2024. In fact, you can sign up for one of those today when you leave. And the purpose of those are for us to get to know one another. You're going to meet people from your church you don't know, which strengthens the church when you meet other people within your church body. But you're also going to pray for yourself, and you're going to pray for that person that God's called you to share the gospel with. So that is, in a nutshell, where God is leading us. It's a lot. It's a lot. We can't do this without the power of God. We'll be laboring in vain if we don't go to God and ask for his leadership. So right now, we want to start off 2024 as a church family praying together. We're going to ask that you would just bring that portion down to the altar and just pray. Pray with a friend. Pray with a spouse. Pray on your own. Pray in two ways. Pray for God to prepare your heart and to prepare the heart of the person that God's calling you to share with. And maybe you say, you know what? I, I don't, right off the top of my head, I don't know who God is calling me to share the gospel with. That's okay. You can still come pray. You can pray for God to show you who that is. So I'm going to pray for us, and then the altar is going to be open. I'm going to ask that you would come pray as we kick off this initiative. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and your challenge through the great commandment. God, I pray that we would not let Satan cause us to have doubt or insecurities. God, you've called us to this. Ephesians 2.10 says you've already prepared good works for us to do. We just have to step into those. Help us to love well. Help us to encourage well. Help us to follow your leading, God. Prepare the hearts of those that we are going to share your hope and peace with. In your name we pray.